0: Well, cancelling vacation plans to Atlanta. Have you ever thought about what it would feel like to be scalped? Scalped, like the Indians did. Somebody grabs a hold of the front patch of your hair. They're going to get as much skin with it as they can. They're going to yank up, and then a blade, probably not even a razor-sharp one, saws your scalp off the top of your head in front of your family. We'll come back to that. Remember, I'm giving you a part two today, a brief part two today. In the Mexican-American War, never done a part two before, but here's the thing. We geniuses, we just do creative stuff. What, Chris? We just do creative stuff that just, it's just so impressive. I mean, and doing radio for a living may be the hardest job on the planet. And what, Chris? And I, I know I make it look easy, but do you have any idea how difficult it is to put on a T-shirt and come sit in this chair and talk for three hours a day? It's brutal. Brutal. It's like breaking bricks, essentially. If you're on the construction site right now, I know what you're going through. I'm doing it too, buddy. This is my version of pounding nails. And I considered this yesterday in my super genius brain. I kind of have a couple more things, a couple little battles I want to talk about in the Mexican-American War. Maybe I'll do it another time. You know what? No. I'm doing it tomorrow. What, Chris? That's called rebel thinking. Chris, you wouldn't understand that because your IQ is 50. Mine, I mean, it's probably 900. I don't know. I've never been tested. Now, remember where we are in the Mexican-American War. Let's start out with Texas. Essentially, we tried to buy everything Mexico, air fingers quote, owned in America. And they did own it. I shouldn't air fingers quote it. California, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, a big portion of Texas were Mexican territories. But remember, Mexico was in absolute disarray. A new leader every few months, a new coup every few months, economy wiped out. And as such, they really left these territories alone. They would have a general there, maybe some troops there, but oftentimes not even troops. Like they did not govern these places. They were part of Mexico, but these places were completely on their own. And they did what human beings have been doing since the beginning of time it wasn't just complete chaos. They organize their own little mini governments and leadership in their own way. And that's human nature. Human nature seeks out some form of order because it feels safe. Human nature is some people, few people will be leaders, most people will follow along and will want leaders. It's one of those things, natural leaders, which you may be one, you may not be. And it's not like that's a good or bad thing. It's just the way God made you. Natural leaders have a difficult time understanding people who aren't leaders. I find myself doing it, to be honest. Think for yourself. What's wrong with you idiots? You've heard me yell like that before. The truth is most people don't want to, don't have the ability to, a combination of the two, they don't want to have to think for themselves, look into it for themselves. Maybe they don't even have the time to do so. Uh, I I got 10 minutes to watch the news. Just tell me what to think and we'll move on. But I don't want to get sidetracked here. So understand, Texas, where they invited the American settlers in to, sh- to form a buffer between them and the Comanches. New Mexico, California was huge on this. They left these territories alone. Now, that was good and bad. The good news is, hey, it's not like you're under a really repressive Mexican government. I mean, you haven't seen a Mexican in ages. The bad news is you also don't get the services and protection of the Mexican government. And this is still heavy, heavy, heavy Indian country. Remember, Comanches, we're talking Apaches, Pueblos, Utes, some of these people peaceful, some of these people very not so, very much not so. Apaches, I mean, we talked about Comanches yesterday. Apaches were ferocious people, and they hated Mexicans, and Mexicans hated them, and they were constantly raiding each other, taking slaves from each other. You remember the famous Apache chief Geronimo. Everybody's heard of Geronimo. His awesome words on his deathbed when they asked him if he had any regrets in life. And he said, I wish I killed more Mexicans. <laughs> That's hardcore. That's hatred right there. So if you're a settler, if you're pushing out West and yeah, it's Mexican territory, but it's is dangerous, this is dangerous stuff. You're going to seek out other settlers. You're going to seek out protection. You are all going to be armed. Isn't it so funny how society changes? And this is going to come back here. You're all going to be armed. There was no, I'm just not comfortable with guns. No, not, a, not now that little Billy's been born. What if he plays with it? No, everybody had firearms. Every and it should be noted, not all the Indian tribes were warlike, and even some of the ones who were would come to agreements, would come to, you know, they would start loose treaties with the settlers and settlements. It wasn't always hostile. We like to look back on it as, all oh, the Indians and the settlers were always at each other's throats. That's not necessarily true. Hostilities would rise and fall. But they could and did help each other a lot. But let's go back to Texas. Remember how James Polk, the president, tries to buy all this stuff from Mexico and moves an army down there? And they eventually just decide, America does, oh, uh, Texas is part of America. Now, Texas wanted to be part of America. They went from being the Republican of Texas to part of America. And everybody's happy, right? Well, no, because we, America, and we, Texans, I get to claim both, we all decided that the Rio Grande was going to be the border of where Texas and Mexico, you know, that dividing line, uh, Mexico thought it was well north of there. And remember, the president, Polk, moved an army under Zach old rough and ready Taylor down to that Northern Mexican border where Mexico viewed it. Once we brought in Texas, once Mexico rejected our offers to purchase it, we went ahead and decided, well, it's time to go to war. Now here's the issue. Then and now, we try to simplify history. But remember, there are always differences of opinion in any government, always. And throughout American history, we look at the things that happen and act like, oh, everybody must have been on board with it. Um, Everybody was very much not on board with going to war with Mexico. Hang on. Is he smarter than everyone? Who knows? Does he think so? Yeah. The Jesse Kelly Show. You need a good night's sleep and you need one every single night. And if you're not getting one, I know what you're going through. I know what it's like to have your eyes burning, to have your mind feel like it's in a fog all the time. To feel a little short-tempered, then you feel bad about being short-tempered. I know. To feel lazy. You finally get done with work, what do you want to do? When you're tired, you just want to go home and just sit down. It sucks. And you know you don't have to live like that, right? You can go get an ebb sleep like I've been telling you about and start sleeping every single night without chemicals, without pills, without anything. It's a wearable device. You put it on your head. It provides precise Continuous cooling to your forehead puts you asleep. Go to tryeb.com slash Jesse. That's tryebb.com slash Jesse. Use the promo code Jesse at checkout. Get twenty-five bucks off. You're James Polk. You want to go to war with Mexico because you want this territory. This was James Polk. Polk was a Democrat. It wasn't Democrats and Republicans. It was Democrats and Whigs back then. And Polk really, really, really wanted this territory. And Mexico would not sell it. And remember, Manifest Destiny was a big thing. And so, what do you do? Remember, this is in an era before. The president of the United States had the ability to just decide he wanted to go to war. This was, you know, back when Congress had to vote for that. We used to be all about that separation of power's life. And Polk had people like John Quincy Adams, who it's really cool, by the way. John Quincy Adams, yeah, that John Quincy Adams, the president of the United States, son of John Adams, he was, when he was done being president, he went back to being a member of the House of Representatives. Thomas Jefferson did this same thing. When he was done being president, he went back to being a member of the House of Representatives. That's how much they treasured the people's house. They thought that thing was, that was really, really where the country was governed from. Kind of a different America, right? probably a much better America. But people like John Quincy Adams was dead set against this war. They viewed it as completely immoral. Uh, This is a war of conquest. We don't do that here. Nevertheless, you're still the president and you still have some, some ability to manipulate things the way you want to go. So, Look, you don't have to declare war. You don't have to go down there and start shooting people. All you have to do is send some armies down there across the border for maybe a little quick scouting mission. Maybe you lost somebody from your unit. I don't know what happened to it. Look, we got to form a search party. In your Mexico, you've just rejected... These huge offers, you're a little salty about the American troops on your border. And I know you're going to find this shocking, but surprise, surprise, they get yet another coup in Mexico with a hugely, hugely anti-American dude take over. Well, we'd send one of these kind of scouting parties into Mexico. Not really Mexico. Depends on who you ask. We think it's Texas. Mexico thinks it's Mexico. The scouting scouting party rides on to a ranch, a ranch owned by a Mexican. There is one way into this ranch and one way out of this ranch, one big gate. Our troops ride in. We start interrogating the ranch workers. Hey, have you seen our guy? Have you seen this? Have you seen that? All of a sudden, somebody shouts out a warning. We turn around and guess who is riding through the gate but a large portion of a Mexican army. There's a massive shootout. We have our guys get killed. Our guys get captured. And what is interpreted as pretty much a celebratory letter gets sent back to James Polk saying... Hostilities have commenced. Oops, we're at war now. We got dead troops. How'd that happen? Remember this always. For the right reasons, for the wrong reasons, it doesn't matter. There's nothing easier than starting a fight. You can start a fight. How hard would it be? For you to walk in the door tonight and start a fight with your wife. For you to walk in the door tonight and start a fight with your husband. You know them. How hard would it be? You know the buttons to push. Starting fights goes beyond personal levels. It goes country levels. It's so easy to go to war if you really want to go to war. Yeah, you gotta wait for Congress to declare it, but... Here we have it. War's kicked off. And what do we do? Zachary Taylor, old rough and ready with a young lieutenant in his unit by the name of Ulysses S. Grant. Perhaps you've heard of him with a young lieutenant takes a few thousand dudes rides south, right to the Rio Grande river across the wide Rio Grande is a Mexican army. And in the biggest Up yours in this little short conflict, they go ahead and build a fort right there on the river. You might as well have carved a big middle finger into the fort, and they call the fort Fort Texas. About 6,000 Mexican troops on the other side. We have about 3,500. Now, I need to do a brief setup for you on the armies. One- The United States of America is strong, but nowhere near the superpower we are now. Nowhere near the superpower we'll even be by the year 1900. We're a strong-ish country. We're not in the same league as countries like Britain at this time. We're just not in the same league. Mexico is Pretty much equal to us. They have the same equipment. They have the same training. They have the same artillery we have. They have some capable commanders. The death of Mexico in this Mexican American war they end up losing is not the troops. It's not really the equipment. It's the instability at the top. The mission's always changing. The mission is always changing. They don't have the money, manpower, resources to govern these territories we want from them. And and as we will see here shortly, when we get to so many of these territories, the people there don't consider themselves Mexican. They don't necessarily consider themselves American, but we get to California, and they just consider themselves to be Californian. They didn't think anything about Mexico. They kind of liked America because so many of these people were Americans who'd moved out there. So, I mean, yeah, America's, they're our friend, but we're Californians, which is weird to think about, isn't it? People would get to these places and without anyone governing them, you start your own tribe. Remember that. We like to get awfully panicky sometimes when we talk about the disaster we see out there. What comes next? What do we do there? Like-minded people living in any area in the history of mankind will form their own version of stability. They will. But anyway, don't get me distracted right now. We go down to Fort Texas. We got 3,500 dudes. Build a really nice fort by all accounts. Only Zach Taylor has a problem. You see... Like I said, the Mexicans have 6,000 dudes right there across the Rio Grande, a lot more than we have. They have good equipment. They have capable dudes. And we, we are a long way away from our supply lines at Fort Polk. I believe it's about 26 miles away. Now, what do you do in this moment? I find these little decisions to be endlessly fascinating What do you do in this moment if you're Zach Taylor? You have 3,500 men. You've built a good fort. They have 6,000. You need to leave this fort and get to Fort Polk 26 miles away so you can stock up on supplies. Otherwise, your men are going to die of hunger, thirst, run out of bullets, and this thing's going to be over really quickly. What do you do? Hang on. You don't know how to take on the IRS. You don't have to feel bad about that. That's not what you do for a living. I don't know either. But I do know this. You better take on the IRS. If you owe $10,000 or more, um, you better do something about that, or they're going to steamroll you. They will take you to the cleaners. You know that there's a CNC tax program, and if you qualify for it, there's a chance you'll get to stop making payments while you're in it? Yeah, that sounds nice, doesn't it? But you don't know about that, do you? And I don't know either, and I can't walk you through that, but I know who can. Paramount Tax Relief can. That's a fact. Paramount Tax Relief takes on the IRS on your behalf, and they do that for a living. Call the professionals. Call Paramount Tax Relief. 800-816-8749. 800-816-8749. Paramount Tax Relief. What do you do? The agonizing decisions a general has to make, a leader has to make in combat. These 6,000 Mexicans are going to come for your guys. How many do you leave at the fort? How many do you take with you? He makes what can probably be described as an incredible decision, especially in hindsight. He takes 500 men under General Jacob Brown. Leaves them as much supply as he possibly can. And he takes off. He takes off with everybody else. He's now got 3,000 dudes with him. Leaves 500 men behind to take on 6,000 people in the Mexican Army. Now the Mexican Army... Moved a little slower than they would have liked, but they attack. They start bombarding the fort. But these idiots in the Mexican army, I'll never understand this. I'll never, ever understand this. This is all about the siege of Fort Texas, by the way. Why did they let them build the fort to begin with? With half the troops, you're sitting there watching them the whole time build the fort. But again, remember the disarray Mexico's in. The guy's probably sending dispatches the whole time. Uh, Can I attack? What am I supposed to do here? They wait till the fort's built. They attack these Texans. And these guys can shoot. Our guys can shoot. And we have artillery, too. And we start blasting back at them. And they're blasting away at us. And eventually, they blow off the lower leg of our commander, Commander Jacob Brown. It's almost completely off. But not totally, and you know what that means for this time and place, right? Not that this would ever be a pleasant thing to go through, but you're not going to get checked into the ER and get put to sleep and doped up with a bunch of pills, Jack. They're going to belt your leg off and carry you into a tent somewhere, and they're going to pull out a saw that has not been disinfected, and they're going to saw through what's left of your leg. I have always been morbidly fascinated with this, that this was just what people did. You can, if you have a strong stomach, and only if you have a strong stomach, I cannot emphasize this enough, You can go Google image search things like Civil War hospital limbs. And you can see, they have pictures of them, real pictures of them. Just stacks of feet and legs. Oh, gosh, that is brutal. Well, they bring in this commander. They saw off his leg. And apparently, while he appoints someone else to be in charge, the man remains calm Directs his men the whole time, trying to hold out until help arrives. Now, Zach Taylor gets back to Fort Polk, gets all his supplies, and turns around and takes back off for Fort Texas, because he's got to go relieve his guys, right? Except the Mexicans knew exactly what was coming, and they put their troops in between him and Fort Texas, trying to cut him off. Zach Taylor has to fight not one, but two major battles against the Mexicans to fight through them. And in one of those all time cool moments, they have to decide what they're going to do next. Are we going to keep trying for Fort Texas to relieve them while they're under siege? Or are we going to let them go? And it wasn't even a decision. They're like, oh, we're coming back for our guys. They fight their way back to Fort Texas. Sadly. General Brown, the man without a bottom part of his leg. I know you're going to find this shocking, shocking given those conditions, but he comes down with a horrible infection and dies shortly before the siege ends. Zach Taylor gets there. We win this battle and remember the name of that general, General Brown at Fort Texas. That's now where. Brownsville, Texas, sits today. Name for General Jacob Brown. How about that? Let's go out west briefly and then we'll wrap this thing up for today. Remember, we need we need people to be upset in order to allow us to come in and take over in California. They're not necessarily, look, again, they don't hold some strong allegiance to the Mexican government. They're kind of okay with the Mexican government. They're very okay with us. We need them kind of upset. And so there's this explorer by the name of John Fremont. He's known as the Pathfinder, which is not as cool as my nicknames, Jesse Shogun Kelly, Jesse Steel Kelly, or Jesse the Oracle Kelly. I go by all those, by the way, so if you would please just refer to me either as Shogun or the Oracle or Steel, what? What? It's fine. 877 Eight seven seven three seven seven four three seven three. or the email is jesse at jessekellyshow.com That's jesse at jessekellyshow.com Again, I go by any of those. Any of those is fine. I prefer Shogun, I think, but whatever's fine. Anyway, Polk needs Californians to be upset. Polk can't look like he's trying to make Californians get upset, so you can't send official letters out there. So you bring in a man who's essentially a modern-day spy, the Pathfinder, John Fremont. And what's so amazing about this is we don't know We don't know the message Polk sent to Fremont because Polk took one of his spies, gave him a verbal message to memorize that he then took out to Fremont, and we don't know what the message was. I think we can guess after what happens next, but Fremont gets 60 volunteers, including a man named Kit Carson, who you may have heard of before. A bunch of Indians, Delaware Indians, and he starts to stir up trouble everywhere he goes in California, cause a little civil unrest here, a little civil unrest there, then leave. Starts to whip Californians up into a frenzy. Why? Because there's power to be found when there's chaos. Good people, bad people, however you want to classify it. When there is chaos out there, when there is disorder out there, it is the nature of man to want that fixed, and they will oftentimes follow whoever claims to be able to fix it. That's just how we operate. Why do you think... There's often so much civil unrest right before a bad guy takes over. Whether it be a chicken or the egg thing, I don't know. But in really, really rough places, the people are hungry. There's warlords. There's starvation. Why would you follow the murderous general? He promised to protect me and bring law and order. (sighs) John Fremont gets out to California, causes trouble, then moves up into Oregon territory. Beds down for one night, him and his 60 volunteers. Wakes up to a hacking sound. Some local hostile Indians have found his 60-man party, and they wake up to find these Indians taking a hatchet to the face of three of their guys as they slept. Hang on. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Express VPN protects your online information, and here's what I mean by that. Every time you get on the internet in your house, which I do too, you know, I do, the wife does, the kids do. Every time you get on the internet in your house, you are opening up a window into your home. A window bad people can crawl through digitally. You're exposing your information out there unless you have ExpressVPN. If you have ExpressVPN, your IP address is totally anonymous. They encrypt 100% of your data. Even your internet service service provider cannot see what you are doing. Give ExpressVPN a call, sign up, start improving the security, close that window into your home. Go to expressvpn.com slash jesse. That's expressvpn.com slash jesse, and that gets you three months free on a one-year package. They get up the next morning after having three of their friends hacked to death with hatchets and they go hunting and they keep hunting and they find an Indian village right off the bat, same tribe that got them. I don't know whether or not it was the same people you can never get. This is what bothers me. It's so hard to get accurate history now because everything's so twisted. Even in looking into this whole Mexican American war thing you have any idea how much slant I had to wade through in all this? How much America sucks, we stole it, slant. That's so stupid and absurd. And in this one, well, was it the same people that just hatcheted their friends or not? Because they did find a tribe. They killed 14 of them and burnt down their village. Um. Okay, that sounds... Completely appropriate if that's the people who just hatcheted my buddy's face. If it isn't, then it's not appropriate. You see what I mean? And you can't ever get an answer on that. All you get is, well, it was a a, a genocide of that village. Now stop. Anyway, back to California. Remember, they get some people, and I'm going to end this in a second. They get some people in California to start a movement of... Californians who want to formally cast off the Mexicans. These Californians call themselves bears. Why is there a bear still on the California flag? That is why there's a bear still on the California flag. I'm skipping over vast quantities of this for now because I don't want to go two hours, and we have a lot to unpack news-wise today. Plus, I have to tell you a funny story. New Mexico, Santa Fe. This is another one of those areas where they didn't really have Mexican rule, but they didn't have American rule either. And the Americans march in there with their troops. They take over. And this Santa Fe is not just Santa Fe. It's a huge area at this time. The Americans take over and they leave somebody in charge because the army takes over. They won. It's without firing a shot, completely bloodless. Without firing a shot, they take over. They win. Now you have to leave a man in charge while your army continues to push west. And they point a man named Charles Bent in charge. And here's where they made a critical, critical error. If you're going to take over, you must bring something. When people have been thinking independently and living independently for a long time now, you must bring something of value to the table if you plan on governing these people. You can't just walk in and say, I'm in charge, unless you're going to declare martial law and hold everybody at gunpoint. You had better offer something or you're going to have a problem. And here is the issue the Americans faced when they left Charles Bent in charge. They didn't offer anything but abuse. They didn't control the U.S. troops who were there at the time. Remember the human mind? Remember what a human being, even a completely innocent human being, is capable of doing to another human being when he when he finds out he has all the power over them why do you think occupying troops grinded on the original you know founders so badly why do you think it's part of the constitution that you cannot put your troops in with us that didn't just randomly get in there that's recipe for abuse. It is not a good idea to have an army armed, occupied with civilians for any extended period of time, be it your own country or in another one. It does not work, and it will not be clean. That doesn't mean everybody's bad. That's the nature of man. And it's a bad idea to have a bunch of younger, testosterone-filled young men marching through a city with weapons and all the power in the world to do whatever they want to you, and you don't have any power to do anything back to them. Our troops did not behave well. The governor, Charles Bent, did not control them, which brings me back to how we began the show that one fateful night And what is called the Taos Revolt, Charles Bent, his wife, their five children, all young, wake up to a pounding on the door. Charles Bent opens up that door and sees a bunch of very, very, very angry Indians wanting him dead. They shoot him. He manages to get the door closed after being shot, at which point he directs the wife and kids to try to dig through one of the walls because the house is surrounded, yet they share a wall with the neighbor. So picture this amount of terror. The wife and five children under 10 using a ladle in a fire poke start digging through the adobe walls to try to get out of the house before the angry mob of Indians comes in the house hang on birch gold Listen to me, and listen good. Do you know how hard it is to get an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau? They don't just hand those out. That tells you what kind of company you're dealing with. That tells you this is a company with a perfect record. And you don't just have to take my word for how important it is to diversify into precious metals you can get a free kit. They'll give you a 20-page kit for free at Birch Gold. There's, there's a problem coming financially. You know it, and I know it. Look at that stock market. Look at the debt. Look at the uncertainty out there. Start diversifying. Start buying precious metals and protect yourself. Go to birchgold.com jesse That's B-I-R-C-H-gold.com slash Jesse. Go there today. Protect your money. They are battering down the door. The door is weakening. Charles Bent's wife. Grabs his pistols and tries to get him to take them so he will fight back or run away with them because he's just laying their shot in the living room bent I guess you can say to his credit says no if I fight back they're going to kill you all too I have to let them kill me so you can live as the door breaks down The Indians kick their way through the front door at the exact moment they finally tunnel through the wall and the wife starts sending the children through. Can you even imagine that level of terror? And then you're a child tunneling through the wall, trying to escape the angry mob And you hear your father scream. Hang on. Jesse Kelly Returns, next. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. Well... Those kids got to hear their dad scream because the Indians walked in, started filling him with arrows, grabbed him while he was still alive, and scalped him. Didn't happen to finish off the scalping. They left part of his scalp still hanging there. And then, I guess I don't understand how this part happened, But they left him, still alive there, probably distracted by looting or doing something else. He manages to actually stumble into the hole his family had dug and crawl through it. The angry mob finds him, shoots him in the face with a bunch of arrows, finishes scalping him, and then carries his scalp away after killing it. That is the Taos uh, Revolt. It was eventually put down. The Mexican-American War had a million of those little stories. But if we're being honest, history itself has a million of those little stories of what happens when the public decides... Nobody's protecting them from the bad people. Or what happens when the public decides the people in charge are bad people? What happens when the army packs up and goes to California? I don't know if you're aware what happened in Atlanta last night, so allow me to break it down for you. We saw that, I think his name's Richard Brooks, Richard Brooks killing from an Atlanta police officer. In case you haven't seen it, this is the real scoop on what happened. He is a multiple felon. He was out on parole. He fell asleep in the drive-through lane of Wendy's. He was so hammered while out on parole driving that he fell asleep, passed out in the drive-through lane of Wendy's. Obviously, they call the cops. The cops show up, give him a field sobriety test, Which he fails. While they're cuffing him, he loses his mind. He's a big dude. Loses his mind, starts to wrestle with these two cops. You're wrestling with a big dude in a parking lot in the middle of the night. One of these cops starts shouting warnings, pulls out a taser. Rashard Brooks, I don't know if he got tased or not. I don't know those details, but gets a hold of the cop's taser, manages to get up, start running away. The cops pursue him. Rashard Brooks points the taser at the cop. Pop, pop. He's dead. Cop kills him. Done. Atlanta, because of this insane environment we have created freaks out burns down that Wendy's sets fire to the place i mean just completely idiotic and let's do a quick side note here this narrative like police have been running around like a bunch of racist cowboys in america until just you know a couple weeks ago is absolutely absurd most of these big cities have gone, most people would say, too far as far as this kinder, gentler police work. Atlanta was the model for this. Their police chief was a black, uh, black lesbian woman. They went all in with that, reaching out to the community. Atlanta was thought to be the model of this community cop relationship. And you see exactly where that got you. They freak out. They start burning down Atlanta, which brings us to Garrett Wolf. He's the police officer that who fired the shots. Georgia's Fulton County District Attorney, his name is Paul Howard Jr. He is a card-carrying leftist. He's currently under investigation for rampant corruption himself. He decides yesterday to charge Garrett Wolfe with 11 felony counts, including first-degree murder, and seek the death penalty against him. Do you understand, even if you disagree with that shoot, Yeah, without any investigation. Even if you disagree with that shoot, most people, especially anybody in law enforcement, agrees with it. If you disagree with it, I would say you're painfully naive, but that's fine. You're allowed to have disagreements. You disagree with that shoot. Nobody on the planet thinks that's first-degree murder or that cop is going to be committed, you know, going to have the death penalty. So what have you done if you're this idiot D.A.? Well, here's what you've done. You've guaranteed Atlanta is going to burn again because you overcharged the officer trying to look like some kind of hero. You've guaranteed Atlanta is going to burn again when he undoubtedly gets acquitted from all this. That's one. Two. And this is the most important thing. And pay attention here because I have a feeling, you know, there's a reason they call me Jesse the Oracle Kelly. I have a feeling there may be something changing. You have said to the police officers, to the police department in Atlanta, not only do we not have your back, we will come after you even if you defend yourself. We will destroy you. And so what happened in Atlanta last night? I'm sure it's happened before in American history. I don't know of a time, but I'm sure it's happened before. The Atlanta Police Department, large portions of it, walked off the job. Now, they all covered their rear ends. They didn't officially walk off the job. But there are, I believe there are six precincts in Atlanta. Four of them had massive, massive call-outs. They're calling it the blue flu, where the police department called in sick. I know several people who have police scanners in Atlanta. And, man, I wish I could have heard this. Precinct 6. Dead silence on the police scanners. The cops did not show up for work. It got so bad last night. They were calling other precincts. The cops who did show up to work asking them to come to precincts like precinct six. And the cops refused to go unless unless they they continue to put out the word unless there's an officer down, we're not going. This is a huge moment potentially in the United States of America. I'm just making a prediction here. I don't know that it's true. This is, to my knowledge, the first time, especially recently, a major institution. And the Atlanta Police Department is a major institution. This is the first time we have seen a pushback against this insane leftist rhetoric. And I have to tell you something, people. And this is going to be hard to hear. Hang on. The Jesse Kelly Show. Newton Group Transfer. They are here to help you if you're stuck in a timeshare. dot org.